Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. It was a fairly tepid game. This is the second time I've said that in terms of Oilers wins, first against San Jose and now against Arizona. But it's the truth. Um, the Oilers won the game 6-1. It was like a Tier 1 uh, team against a Tier 4 team, frankly. Um, Arizona, I think, is the worst team in the NHL, and they certainly looked at tonight. They uh, The grade-A shots were 17-5 to five for the Oilers. When it came to five alarm chances, it was 7-3 to three for the Oilers. The game was never in doubt. The Oilers dominated throughout. Arizona put up little fight. Uh, nonetheless, Bruce, a huge win for the Oilers in terms of the playoff standings. Uh, with LA losing, it looks like they're losing 5-1, to one, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, let's just check that. And of course, that'll change. That game will be over a 6-1 to one final for the Kraken over LA. That's huge because, you know, people were looking at the Kraken as kind of a free crack at two points uh, in the standings, and that hasn't turned out to be the case tonight with LA, so... Excellente. Excellente. All right, Bruce, you were at the nice game. To get, nice to get some help from the Kraken. Yeah. That's for sure. What was the what was the mood like at the game? Three. I was at the game. Yeah, I was uh uh I was fairly jovial. I think people felt felt like the game was in good control. Uh trying to see what the attendance was. 15,237. I have a seat in the upper bowl with my mini pack uh, right behind uh, the visiting team's net. So I see the Oilers attack for two periods and I'm looking right over the goalie's shoulder, right up the, right up the ice, get a great view of the, you know, the, the depth of, uh, of the game from there. And uh, what I saw was that Edmonton had a lot more depth than Arizona did. And they uh, they controlled uh, large segments of that game, out shooting the uh, 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 the Coyotes uh, 42-32, and in shot attempts it was uh, 69 to 50 for Edmonton. So uh, uh, fairly good control there. And as you said, the the uh, more difficult shots, Edmonton had an even larger edge in those than uh, than they did in in shots of all descriptions yeah and the arizona goalie uh vejimelka mm-hmm. uh, looked good until he didn't he sort of let out some pretty big rebounds as the game went on and yep and they were pounded in the net all right let's do our two good things two bad things and two numbers podcasters what is your good thing yeah, a few good things in this game, but I'm going to settle on Yesipol Yarvi, who uh, got promoted to uh, the first line tonight and uh, responded in fine fashion with uh, a pair of first assists, uh, primary assists, uh, uh, when he smartly passed the puck to Connor McDavid on one occasion and to Leon Dreisaitl on the other occasion. And both times the uh, uh, the gifted teammates accepted the gift and... and uh, the puck in the net, but they were both very fine plays by uh, by Yessa. Uh, first one, especially with the score 0-0, uh, game's first goal, when uh, 
he was just winning battles along the boards and they were having all kinds of trouble getting the puck past him. It looked like they were going to get it out in the, well, it was at least the second try and he kept it in just inside the blue line and he just kind of filtered a uh, an outside pass and he just lobbed it through the lane into a place where McDavid could get it and then McDavid took care of the rest of the business in tight to the net with a with a deke and a real roof job off the off the backhand to uh, put Oilers ahead to stay. But I, I, I thought that was a, a, a very smart play by, by Yessa just to funnel the puck in there when he held it in because Arizona thought they were getting the puck out of the zone and they were starting to vacate the back. Same thing we saw Oilers be doing the other night. This is what Arizona did. And there's McDavid alone with the puck. Well, you like that. <laughs> and uh, sure enough. Uh, then he also set up the game's last goal. And again, it was a, a, a crazy long forecheck where Edmonton kept stealing or intercepting passes where Arizona couldn't get out. And Pooley Arby himself seemed to be in the middle of it. But they just couldn't get past him. And then finally, there was uh, uh, a play where it... Uh, I'm still not sure McDavid didn't get a piece of this puck and... and uh, kind of kind of deflect the uh, clearing shot. But again, it went right to Yessa in the slot uh, at the end of the sequence. And he spotted Dreisaitl hanging off the side of the crease and he managed to filter again a nice pass through a couple of, a couple of sets of skates and sticks and so on. And there was Dreisaitl's big pat paddle on the edge of the blue paint just tapping it home and perfect pass and, and uh, uh, easy goal from Leon's perspective. Uh, but in between times, I mean, two assists plus two, that all looks good. He played almost 15 minutes tonight, which is more what you want to see uh, with a with a winger. Um, he played a uh, minute and a half on the power play, and he did okay there. He had four shots on net. He had four hits. He had three giveaways. He had the puck a lot, but he also had three takeaways. So he <clears throat> got the puck back a lot. And I just thought he was very involved in the game and, and – uh, physically involved and right in the middle of the action uh, for many different shifts, and he was rewarded with those uh, with those two assists and, and uh, overall uh, more encouraging game than we've seen from him since he came back from his latest injury. He uh, he really gave Strawman a good hit with a kind of a reverse hit, knocked him right on his keister. Um, yeah, that that goal by McDavid was interesting. Bruce, I was thinking earlier today, thinking about the Oilers' woes and. One of the things we have seen from the Oilers constantly is this, I was thinking about what's going wrong with Nurse specifically, and this Mm -hmm. kind of rushing out of the zone before you have clear possession and the puck's really going out and getting caught on that. That's happened to Nurse and the Oilers' defense a lot, and that did happen to to Arizona there. And McDavid puts it top shelf where Mama keeps the cookies. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a great goal by Connor McDavid and a, and a very nice play by Pugliarvi. There was some uh, grumbling, I think a bit at least, when Pugliarvi got put on the top line today. Of course, there's grumbling mm-hmm. about everything the Oilers do. Like that, without everything. exception, without exception, there's people who think it's the end of the earth. Um, I liked it. I mean, I don't. No. Why? Why wouldn't you try? You just got whipped. Absolutely got no, whipped. Sure. Shake Better it up. Change something. Better change something. Yeah, now that, I, heard, I heard from the Don, and he was saying, what did Pulley Arby do to earn his spot on the first line? I, my answer was, what did anybody else do? You know, I mean, you got you to gotta uh, uh, change things up at some point. I mean, that was, um, it turns out to have been 
somewhat of an inspired choice, I think. Even you know, yes, he yeah. needed a vote of confidence more than anything from a coach, and he got it, and he and he paid it back. Yeah, I was starting to worry a little bit. Like, I don't think McClellan, Todd McClellan, liked Pulleyarvey much uh, as a young player. Liked his game. To be fair to McClellan, probably was okay on the person. I don't know, but mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of really bad negative rumbling from media people who were close to McClellan at the time. And I, and in in the end, in the end, Drew, Drew Romenda kind of spilled the beans about what that coaching staff thought about Pugliarvi at the time, and they were really negative on him. So, as things have been turning a little bit down for Pugliarvi recently, I was thinking, geez, I wonder if Woodcroft kind of harbors some of that residual feeling about this player. All right. And if he's going to get, you know, not get a fair shake from the coach. I don't, I didn't really think that, you know, I'm just, just the thought that popped into my mind, you know, remembering all of that. So I thought it was actually good to see that vote of confidence from the coach who um, I think is quite an interesting cat. Like, I think he's quite a positive, positive uh, thinking guy uh, and a real strong teacher. So I would have been surprised if he had held some kind of grudge like that. And it turns out he probably doesn't. So anyway, nice to see play RV play so well Bruce my good thing I mean I could go with Ryan McLeod who made it who uh, scored an absolutely fantastic goal um, taking a pass from Yamamoto on the power play and charging in there and and maybe you know it's hard to know whether he intended to do that first goal or not I mm. I, I, I rated him did. I think he did too so I rated that as actually a five alarm shot like he was trying to mm. do that it's a very dangerous shot and we're seeing it yep. in the NHL a lot just like we're seeing the over-the-shoulder shot from a tight angle, like the NHL shooters have raised their game and are making shots that previous generations of NHL shooters, if they weren't named Wayne Gretzky, you know, didn't attempt very often and didn't make. So, but they're becoming commonplace. So McLeod did have a great game and I gave him an eight, but I gave an eight to Leon Dreisaitl as well. And, um, he, he his game really starts picking up. I think it's in the early in the second on the on the uh, on the power play. He gets set up by McDavid, and he he's it's just a total espo of a shot that Drysaddle gets from the shot on the power play. He's in the slot, and his people draped all over him, and he gets a fast hard shot on um, Vejmelka. Then um, twice in a row, and on the second one, the goal results. Drysaddle um, bursts down the wing, come, cut kind of cuts in the middle. And changes the angle on a shot twice in a row on shots at the last second, which makes it exceedingly difficult for the goalie. And the second time he does that, there's a rebound and Hyman comes in and cashes it in for a goal. I mean, that kind of um, stick work, shooting stick work, uh, you know, I think Dredesettle is actually more known for, you know, obviously he's known for the executioner shot, his one-timer on the power play. I haven't... I don't know if he does this a lot where he will change the angle on his shot. Um, he usually just hammers it, honestly, but there's a chance, you know, if he, if he starts doing this all the time on these shots coming, coming down the wing and changing the angle like this, if this is a bit of a new trick, maybe you have a more memory for him doing this constantly, but I actually don't, but we mm-hmm. see this from a lot of NHL shooters. Um, we saw it from Duchesne of Nashville. We saw it from McKinnon of Colorado, you know, some of the best goal scorers do this consistently. Dreisaitl can do whatever he wants with the puck. He's a he's a magic player. And this just seemed one more trick from his tool bag. I got a cat going crazy here in the corner. Oh, yeah. What's going on? Oh, I can hear that. 
Uh, yeah, I think that there's something outside our window, oh, maybe no. a coyote, coyote or something. Yeah. Um, then, of course, Drysdale takes a nice pass from Pugliarvi and just puts it in the net. And he, and he says, you can lip read, he says, nice pass to uh, Pugliarvi, which is high praise coming from the master himself on making nice passes. A great game from Leon Drysdale. He scored his 48th goal of the year. Uh, good mm-hmm. for him. What a great game. I'm just going to no, go. He's on, he's on fire. Eight, eight yeah. goals in his last five games. Scored at least one in every game. It's up to 48 on the season. And it seemed like, seemed like he, he was uh, overtaken. And, uh, and Matthews had left him for dead about a week ago. And now all of a sudden they're back tied. And it's Matthews that's getting the cheesy empty netters to try and keep up, you know. <laughs> I guess Austin Matthews may not win the. They were, a, a few weeks yeah. ago they were pushing hard for him to win the MVP award. They want he's having to put on the crown. He's having a pretty good year, I have to. Yeah, yeah no. well, he's great, and he is a hell of a hockey player. Yeah. But I think if the Oilers make the playoffs, it'll be McDavid. Would be my bet, Bruce, um, for MVP. Maybe. I mean, what's did McKinnon get off to kind of a slow start? Man, that guy's a good hockey player, Nathan McKinnon. And Barkov in Florida, like the players that I've seen who have really impressed me have been McKinnon and Barkov, other than McDavid and Drysaddle. I mean, I think Austin Matthews is a good player, but the ones that I think have stood out, just at least in the games I've seen, are, are those other two guys from Florida and Colorado and, and our two guys here in Edmonton. And there goes my cap. And Shesterkin and Rangers. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's right. I didn't think crazy in the nets that uh, he's uh, making a case as well. It's a little early, actually, on it, like because it's it's a close race, I think. Huh? So, um, yeah. they you know they were holding that victory parade in Toronto, but uh, hmm. guess they need one badly. All right, Bruce, uh, what is your bad thing? Yeah, my bad thing. You know, the one order line that didn't have it going tonight was the line of uh, the newly put together line of Ryan Nugent Hopkins with uh, 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 Derek Broussard and Josh Archibald, who got yeah. moved up to uh, right wing on that line. And they just didn't seem to have any any flow going on. Like they, they were, I mean, Archibald was throwing his body around as he does. He had six hits in that game, but, but uh, no shot attempts. Broussard had one shot attempt that was blocked. Uh, Nuge had one shot on net, and it may well have come on the power play. Because uh, when they were on the ice, the shots when Broussard was on the ice was eight to zero for Arizona, eight to zero, and seven to zero for Archibald. So they were that was the one line. Like, and you know, you're not necessarily going to get all four lines going on a on a uh, on a nightly basis. But this was one night where the other three lines were all going fairly good. And I mean the the uh, the line with um, Cloud and and Fogel uh, and Ryan was that they were terrific, uh, but this this one line just just was uh, I think struggling a little bit tonight, and there just wasn't the chemistry there that they had uh, uh, in the in the uh, previous game. Of course, they had Paul Yarby on the line, and he was replaced with Archibald, and that. That did not improve that line. Let's put it that way. Yeah, 
I actually don't think McLeod is a top six winger at this point in his NHL career. I mean, tonight he had right. his best game of the year, probably. Well, but I don't well, he think was playing he playing four C tonight. Yeah, he was playing four C, and I just don't think he is. But I think he he should be on the third line, like mm-hmm. on the wing, unless they want him at center. Maybe they need him at center as the fourth center. But they have Derek Ryan; they can play there. I get, you know, Ryan is better on the wing, so maybe that's why. I'm, if you're going to maximize your center ice position which is the key forward position you want to have the three big guys and then mcleod i mean that's a pretty good group of centers oh you have to say it's the best group of centers in the nhl um down the middle so with mcleod there in the 4c spot but um yeah brassard i think he has looked good tonight didn't look he didn't do anything but archibald I don't know if, if is he a third line winger is Cassian like those both those guys have been really iffy hockey players. Um, Fogle I think is a third line winger, so yeah, I don't know why. Why can't they move Fogle up to the third line? It might mean shifting someone off to their wing they're not used to playing or something like that. But Broussard's a veteran player; he should be able to do that. So I think Fogle should be on your your third line with Nugent Hopkins and. And Broussard probably, and um, you know, I I didn't I haven't seen again. I I know every time there's some people in Bakersfield who think Holloway just isn't ready. Some fans down there, and I and I respect that view because they're seeing those games more than I am. Um, I'm not seeing them, but I saw some high, highlight real plays by Holloway on the weekend. Man, he made a couple nice passes. So we'll see about that. I still have a feeling we may see Holloway, uh, Dylan Holloway, up on what? the wing. I have a theory about fans of minor league teams, having been one myself of the Edmonton Trappers for many years, and that is that they they always seem to think, oh, this guy that I really like, this guy, and he's going to be good in the big leagues here, but you know he needs that just a little bit more time, maybe another season down here, at least another month before he's quite ready to go up yet, you know, and it's kind of it's kind of uh, I won't say biased, but you know, almost a little bit of wishful thinking that gets gets mixed in there they're not anxious to see the good ones go you know i th- yeah. oh so that's what it yeah that could well be bruce there's a little bit of psychology in there and it's not that's only natural yeah, yeah i agree that third line was was mediocre was okay i mean they didn't give up anything to speak of there wasn't i don't think there was a great great a shot in those seven shots or six shots they were out for but um oh, they didn't they didn't yeah. They didn't create any either, at least according to what, what well, I was create, watching. They created nothing. Yeah, they no created shots nothing. at all. Yeah. Nuge was good on the PK and on the power mm-hmm. play. Yep. So. yep, as usual. He's got, you know, he's got so many Swiss Army knife, uh, you know, attachments that he's going to help you in some area or another, but his line wasn't really going. So that's not a night we had a whole lot of bad things to to choose from, so. No, they did actually. They were out for one bad one. Keller's one timer in the second. Nuge was out there. Uh, I'm not sure if that was even strength or not, but Nuge was one of the people who allowed that cross seam pass. He and I uh, can't remember who else the other guy was. Um, Bruce, my bad thing was the Arizona Coyotes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a, I don't know, like maybe that's a, maybe they're a better team than they look. But that team just looks like a shell of, an, shell of an NHL team. I mean, they, how many players on that team could make your average playoff team? And tonight they were make, missing Jacob 
Shikren. I guess he's hurt. Yeah. And they've just traded Johan Larson, mm-hmm. who was a decent forward. Yeah. Um, that is a terrible hockey team. So, and they're going to play, what is it, 4,000 seat arena next year or something like that? What a mess of a franchise. It's a joke. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, this was a schedule loss for them tonight, too. I mean, they played in Winnipeg last night. Not only, the, I mean, they played, uh, I think it was seven seconds left in overtime when they lost it. So essentially, they played a 65 minute game in Winnipeg, which is a non trivial flight to Edmonton. Yeah. And, at least I got the clocks going in the right direction, but uh, uh, them coming in here and Edmonton stinging from a very bad, embarrassing loss on national TV was a recipe for for uh, not much good happening for the Coyotes tonight, and not much good did happen for the Coyotes tonight. And uh, uh, I, I'm going to hand it to a couple of local uh, pundits. Uh, uh, Jason Strudwick of TSN 1260, who went on his daily prediction, he went out on limb and said, Arizona's going to get one goal or none. And I thought, well, that's bold. And <laughs> here we are. And then Robbie Brown of 630 Chad, another former NHL player, and he said the orders will be stinging and Arizona is just coming into a hornet's nest of, you know, Edmonton needs a win. They, you know, they got to play their best game. They're going to be, you know, cranky as hell. And it's... <laughs> It's going to be a long night. And he predicted 5-1 or 6-2 for the Oilers. But he also went out on a limb and said that their Japanese village goal light, which is a feature they give out every time that the Oilers score five goals, and he promised that the, that the uh, uh, that they'd be giving out that uh, prize of a free appy uh, by the end of the second period. He didn't just say it was going to happen in the game. He predicted correctly that the artists would have five by the time the second period was over. So those guys really nailed what kind of a game it was going to be. And sometimes, you know, I mean, all these pundits, they got some right and some wrong, and we always ridicule them when they get them wrong. Well, so I'm going to give them a little pat in the back for getting this one right. Well done, Jason and Robbie. Yeah, I wasn't aware of just how bad this team was. Um, anyway, let's, they had uh, 17 minus players in this game, Dave. They had uh, Nick Ritchie, who managed to come out even, and the other 17 were all minus one to three. Is that your number? Uh, no, my number is actually four. Okay. And my number is that's the number of times consecutive uh, times uh, Evander Kane spent in the penalty box between actually spending any time on NHL on Edmonton Oilers bench. <laughs> yes, this was really quite remarkable. Uh, Kane got went in with the coincidental minor at um, uh, uh, 19:06 of the second. So of course he came out at 1:06 of the third, and he got involved in the play right away. And he started running around like he was still mad at whatever that scrum was. I thought, you know, the whole second intermission, they'd come out and everybody would be cooled down. Well, he had a bee in his bonnet and he ran uh, uh, across the spare and he ran uh, Dyson Mayo. And then he creamed a third guy. And finally, the ref called him for, uh, uh, was it? heck did he call interference when he was trying to shoot the puck and he nailed the guy at the same time but he just came out of the box it seemed like he was just trying to get a piece out of every player and finally got a penalty so now he goes back into the box at um uh 130 
eight of the third. So he comes out at 338. Now he gets another shift of almost a minute, 54 seconds. And again, the puck follows him around. He's barging around all over the place. And then he takes a tripping penalty. And of course, by now he's getting real mad. But at this time, he also, like I was watching him the whole time. I thought, geez, that's a foul. That's a borderline foul. They're going to call one of these ones. Surely, eventually they did. So it goes back into the box. Oilers kill off yet again. I mean, this is the impressive part. The Oilers killed all three of the penalties right in a row. Uh, the first one was coincidental, but the second, third, and fourth ones <laughs> just came. So he goes back in the box at 6.47. He comes out at 8.47. Now he plays another 20-second uh, shift, and he finally gets to the bench at 9.07 of the third, fully 10 minutes after he'd gotten on the ice. He didn't play, spend a single second on Edmonton's bench. And by the score sheet, he actually took eight minutes in penalties in a span of seven minutes and 41 seconds. So it seems impossible. Of course, he didn't serve the eight minutes until after nine minutes and 41 seconds. But still, he spent like oh, about 80% of his ice of his time in the penalty box on this is consecutive. And by the fourth one, the fans were booing, but geez, he tripped the guy. You know, he stuck his stick right in this guy's skates and he went down. And, uh, you know, I didn't think the ref had any choice there. And I mean, like I say, I was, it's, it came out of the box and I was watching like a hawk because it looked like he was just looking for to get. Uh, so it was, it was kind of nice to see uh, uh, that degree of passion from the guy, but he needed to rein it in a bit. And you'd think, well, sooner or later they're going to score on the power play and then he's going to go in the to the bench with the skate of shame and he's going to sit there for a while. But <laughs> they kept killing the penalty, so he kept coming out. And uh, it just, he seemed to be the... The, like a magnet, the puck and the play and the other team, they would just all gravitate to him right away and all hell broke loose there for a long stint. I don't think I've ever seen a guy take four penalties in a row without making it to the bench even once. I don't think he, I don't think he deserved the first two, honestly. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not sure what he got the first one for if, because it was, if it was for the hit, uh, if it was, if it was for the hit mm-hmm. on Keller, mm-hmm. Keller was falling down to the ice and it mm-hmm. looked way worse than it was. Right. Kane missed him with the hit. Oh, right, uh, yeah. yeah Kane pretty much, he pretty much missed I, him with the hit. There's a but replay. The that. whole Arizona team reacted as if he had plastered Keller. Mm-hmm. And then that carried over into the third where they were coming after him and he was coming after <laughs> them. And you better be, if you're going to, I'll tell you what, if you're coming after Evander Kane, you better be ready to go because he's ready to go. Mm-hmm. And he absolutely obliterated um, Cam Deneen with a hit right. um, when he got that penalty. And I don't think he deserved it. He was going hard to the net, and Deneen's coming the other way, and they smashed. He was shooting the puck at the time, I thought, and there was like a collision. Yeah, as well, Hyman, him. Hyman actually got the They were both – Kane was kind of jamming at it, and Hyman, I think, actually got the shot. But okay. – um, yeah, I don't. It was a marginal penalty. He really hit that guy, though. Did he ever hit that guy? Right. That, I mean, that was a Mark Messier kind of moment uh, of of intimidation, where Kane had a chance to hit someone, and he did, and he obliterated the player. Um, I like Evander Kane's game, Bruce, and I. And you know, the funny thing is, Arizona. Not only did the Oilers kill off those penalties, Arizona did not get one grade A shot that entire time uh, when he was in the penalty box. So. It's not like the others were were hurting uh, through that sequence. So two Mark Messier moments in the game then, because uh, that one by Kane and the McLeod 
uh, the quick deke on the breakaway where he, he went back, forehand to backhand and then he, as he was coming across, he just quickly stuck it in between. As soon as the goalie opened up, he just did the quick, uh, you know, sort of half deke instead of going uh-huh. all the way across with the puck. Yeah. He, he just yeah. quickly opens him up and sticks it through the legs. Messier used to do that a ton. And it was really hard to stop at his speed. And, of course, McLeod's got an equivalent level of speed. When the guy's going fast, the goalie, he's either opening up to go with him or he doesn't get over there. Yeah. So if you got if you got the wherewithal to sort of do the half deke and shove it through the five hole, it's going to work. And that 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 goal really reminded me of Mark Messier, who did that a lot. That goal was created by McLeod's speed because it wasn't like it wasn't a, a fancy deke at all, but it mm-hmm. was just it happened so fast. He was in there just boom so fast that uh, it happened, and and uh, yeah, if McLeod takes the puck to the net like that, he's going to have success in the NHL. So good for him for doing that tonight. Bruce, my number is 34. That's the average of number of NHL games, career NHL games played by four of the six uh, defensemen of the Coyotes. Uh, Mayo, Capo, Bianco, Deneen, and Kolya Chonik. I think his name is Kolya Chonik. And... um, Listen, these guys, one or two of them may become adequate or good NHL players in time, but um, you're not going to win a lot of games. And, and we were talking earlier, like the Oilers had this situation early in the year when they had like, sure did. they had Nima Linen and uh, Lagasin and, and Broberry and who else Bouchard. in the lineup? Bouchard, Bouchard in the lineup all at the same time. They, 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 the Oilers went through a spell and they, you know, they actually did not, they did okay-ish uh, through that spell. They didn't lose all the games, but um, that's pretty tough to have four such inexperienced defensemen all at once in your lineup. You know, that's like, remember the 80s Leafs that had yep. Benning, McGill, and Boymastruck, three rookies, I think, all on the team at the same time. And they were just a rancid team. And uh, I remember the 72 Leafs that lost their players to the WHA when they lost uh, Ricky Lee, Brad Selwood, and uh, uh, who was the third guy that they lost all at the, at the same time. And they, they were only left with with uh, Jim McKinney. Bob, Bob Neely. Really young guy. Yeah, some really young, unpolished guys. And it takes a while. It does. It does. Take a while. It does. And you're going to learn some harsh lessons at the, uh, 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 you know, against star players on the other team. There's no way you're not. When you've got that many, you can't shelter them all. There's no chance. That was just Harold Ballard being cheapskate, wasn't it? Yes, it was. And yep, sinking... he was making money hand over fist, but, uh, you know, he lost Bernie Pront because he offered him, like, I think it was $40,000 a year. And, uh, was it Jim? Philadelphia Screaming Eagles offered him eighty-five thousand a year. Was in on I mean, what's a guy going to do when he gets offered a double his pay? He's going to take it. Was it Jim Dory? The other Jim one. Jim Dory. Yeah, it was Jim Dory. He went to New England. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And Mike Pellick stayed in Toronto, but they're they're you know they had this young defense that they'd been growing for about four years, and they were just starting to get half decent. Then three of them took off to the. Uh, uh, to the uh, WHA at the same time because and their and their goalie, star goalie Bernie Perrant. Well, that's a huge, and, huge and, loss. You know, yeah, and Jim Harrison that came out here to Edmonton and 
they lost Paul Henderson and they lost Norm Ullman that came out here and they lost Dave Keon. You know, I mean, they lost a huge, huge chunk of their team because Harold Ballard was too cheap to, to pay his players. He would rather just sit and complain about the other league. Selwood and Lee were pretty good players. So they replaced mm-hmm. them with um, <laughs> John Grisdale, Larry McIntyre, oh. oh and Joe and the, and the immortal Joe Lundergan. <laughs> Joe oh, Joe Wonder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Uh, yeah, he was a Newfoundlander, Joe Lundigan. So I rooted for him. I was a Leafs fan, and at that time I was a Leafs and an Oilers fan because they weren't in the same league. So I didn't have a conflict. It was only '79 that I had to choose, and by then Harold Ballard had completely lost me. So it was an easy choice to make. Ah, oh, what a terrible hockey person. Terrible All right. Person. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's true. So, All right, that's uh, that's it for tonight, Bruce. What's up next? All right, Wednesday night, LA Kings coming to town. This is a big game, and it's going to be almost second place on the line with the Oilers gaining two points on them tonight. So I haven't quite looked closely at the standings, but if the Oilers are able to beat Kings in regulation on Wednesday, that should put them in a tie. I think Oilers. The game in hand, I'm not quite sure, but it's it's close, and uh, it'll be closer if the Orders can manage to pull off a win over the Kings on home ice. And it's uh, yeah, it, it'll be an interesting game. Todd McClellan's thousand and first game. He had his thousandth game tonight, spoiled by uh, uh, Seattle Seattle Kraken. I'm looking forward to seeing Evander Kane up against Drew Doughty. And we'll see how the Oilers defense. Is he not one. playing? Oh, maybe he's not playing. Wow, I'm not, I'm not um, it'll be interesting to see also. The, the, the Kings are a big physical team. And the owners have now this kind of fast, non-physical defensive unit, you know, and Kulak yes. adds to that. So it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, if if um, Rock beats Scissors or if the owners can somehow paper over that prob- uh, problem. Um, see what happens Bruce thanks for talking tonight alright thanks for listening everyone and in the meantime and in between times this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast mm-hmm.